0: Thank you. Thank you and welcome. I'm Father Mitch Packon and welcome to EWTN Live where we bring you guests from around the world. Tonight we are going to discuss the Shroud of Turin and see that there's a lot more in it than just the burial relic of our Savior. Before we get to that, I want to remind you about a world premiere of a new movie that is next Wednesday night, July 19th at 10 p.m. Eastern Time here on EWTN. This is called Faith of Our Fathers. It was produced by EWTN Ireland and Campbell Miller. And it takes us back to the 16th and 17th century, which were the anti-Catholic penal times in Ireland when Catholics who practiced their faith in public we threatened with imprisonment or death. Take a look at this little clip.
1: It is hereby declared that every Irish man, woman, or child in every town or village in this country who professes or practices the forbidden Catholic religion Protects its leaders, or
0: encourages its followers, will feel the punishing weight of the crown upon their head. I hold my office to crush the Church of Rome and its idolatrous superstitions.
1: Seek and ye shall find, men.
0: It's me, the one. Save yourselves and run. Where is he? Lisa. Lisa. Where's the priest? Please, sir! Please, sir! Just leave it alone. Don't you touch my children? Don't touch it! Let's see how you pray now. No! No!
1: Kiss no. me or what? Let your thirst for blood end here.
0: Recognize his majesty's crown as the true servant and protector of the one true faith, and all of this pain will simply disappear. And a turn This is a really exciting film. I've enjoyed it. I got a chance to preview it and it shows some of the Catholic history of Ireland but also has relevance to situations that modern-day Catholics are facing all over the world and even in our own nation. Remember, not too long ago, the FBI office in Richmond was warning about Catholics who go to Mass in Latin and are pro-life. So this is something that all of us can watch. It is the premiere of faith of our fathers next Wednesday evening, July 19th, at 10 p.m. Eastern Time, here on EWTN. And you can find out a lot more information, plus Encore Times, if you go to EWTN.com. All right, now let's get to our guest. Our guest tonight is a medical doctor. His own specialties and licensing is in internal medicine and occupational medicine. But for over 40 years, he's been studying the burial cloth of Jesus known as the Shroud of Turin because it's located in the Italian city of Turin. By placing the forensic medical evidence that he has observed on this relic into the context of the life of Jesus Christ, it opened up New insights for him into the Gospel of John and the message that the Shroud holds for us. So please welcome the author of a book called The Shroud of Jesus and the sign John Ingeniously Concealed. Dr. Gilbert Lavoy.
1: Thank you very much,
0: Father. Dr. Welcome. Good to have you here. Well, it's
1: wonderful to be here. I'm very very pleased. Thank you very much for having you
0: me. You were on the, the program, a couple programs here, 25 years ago.
1: Yes, I was with uh, Doug Keck on uh, uh, his show, mm-hmm. and uh, 25 years ago. So we had a reunion this afternoon. Oh, that's great. So, good. Right, so we're, that's we're, nice. back, we're back on it again. So it was kind
0: of fun. Well, the Shroud of Turin is something that you know we've approached a number of times. In this program and other programs, we've done specials. I believe you did a special, uh, you know, some years ago about this. Um, yes. And there are a few things that I think would be worth paying attention to. Uh, first of all, you know, my field is scripture, and one of my loves is history and archaeology. And one issue, just so we address it right away, is. The authenticity of the shroud—is this something that is, you know, sensible to say? Is the burial shroud of Jesus Christ just based on archaeology and such?
1: Sure. We uh, thinking in terms of carbon dating. I mean, people have said the the shroud is a 14th century artifact. Right. However, uh, uh, the we uh, recently a paper came out. In uh, 2019, basically looking at the statistics of that, pay, of, of the work that they had done back in 1989, mm-hmm. uh, 88, mm-hmm. and they found uh, that there was a problem there. So that's that's not stable. That's not considered a, a good test a problem, anymore.
0: There's a problem in the research.
1: In the research what actually, it? Yes. What the, in the, right? So uh, right now, it's, there's some really very interesting data that has come up in 2002 uh the uh uh lemberg who's a, who is a uh a textile expert when she she did the uh, the rep, uh, repairing of the shroud in 2002 and when she looked there's a strip that goes along the entire length of the of the shroud mm-hmm. and it's just a it's just a you know a few inches wide but it goes along the entire strip and when she examined that she noticed that she took particular attention of the stitch where we know that 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 strip is actually uh, was put on there when the shroud originated because it's the same cloth. It's a herring bone weave, Mm -hmm. so we know it's the same cloth. So when she did that stitch, uh, she studied that, and it's remarkable that uh, she's also a historian with regard to uh, ancient linen. And so it was found that that stitch is identical to a stitch and unique to a stitch that was found in uh, Masada, in uh, Israel, which is a, a town that was destroyed uh, by the Romans around 72-73 uh, mm-hmm. AD, so that uh, so the one who person that did that stitch, uh, it was done in it was done in Masada, and we and and we to we basically can associate that with the shroud itself because Masada is only about a, about uh, about maybe two oh, to what? three days walk to yeah. uh, to Jerusalem. So that from a archeological perspective, that's really strong data that cannot be ignored with regard to the age of the shroud. Also, we had the pollen spores, whatever, and that that brings the shroud not only in Europe, but brings it right into Jerusalem. So with Mm -hmm. that information, we really have good data that the shroud is. is
0: And there also was a study by a woman who, an archeologist did a dissertation on the shroud and uh, she herself was an atheist at the time. But she found that there, were, there was limestone dust yes. in the shroud. And one of the characteristics of limestone is that there is another chemical in it that acts the way our fingerprints. It's, it's strontium. And the levels of strontium identify the limestone the way a fingerprint identifies us. And so, uh, and she said it was absolutely certain that not only was the shroud in Jerusalem, but it was inside the tomb because it's the same limestone, uh, the uh, the strontium levels of the limestone as inside the tomb of Jesus. So it's not only first century, but it could be located very specifically to that limestone. Right, wonderful, that's wonderful, yeah. so it's good to get that, put that out of the way, and, sure. and mention that this is something that is not, you know, as some people thought, a medieval forgery or something like that. The key, that one of the keys that you notice and others, of course, is that it's it's like a photograph before photography existed.
1: right. It is, and that's, of course, we, we, we realize in uh, 18, uh, it was uh, uh, 1898, the first photograph of the shroud was done, and it was that that brought out the hidden image that's there. Mm-hmm. We really saw this very positive image. And for those for, that, don't, that don't understand or don't know about the shroud, the shroud is four, a cloth 14 feet long, three and a half feet wide, mm-hmm. and upon that cloth is a naked, a naked man, the back in front of him, and uh, he has all the wounds upon him that we find in the Gospel of John regarding crucifixion and, mm-hmm. and uh, scourging, etc.
0: And because it was 14 feet long, the, it is able to wrap around right. and you know, go over the, so that both sides of the man are visible on the shroud. And it's uh, a photograph
1: right and we, what we really have on there is a, a man was crucified, he was taken down and he was placed on one end of this long cloth and uh, the other end was placed over his body. Um, but what we have also is we have I, I was very much interested in the uh, in blood marks mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah uh, and I looked at blood marks over the years and uh, I started actually as a skeptic and I, re- but, well, I discovered a, a particular blood mark that fascinated me and I came to realize that there was truly a crucified man under this cloth. Uh, it was an off-image blood mark that I saw and I discovered uh, that uh, the, 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 it goes down the arm and it goes right off of the image at the left elbow. And uh, so I put that cloth over me, uh, the, the full shroud I had, and I found that, that uh, the uh, uh, I had I studied it and I we did a um, uh, a transparency over that cloth and put a um, uh, drew the blood mark out and then I took that cloth and put it over a volunteer and as in doing so the the blood mark sort of disappeared it was sort of it wrapped around and draped around to the side in other words that trying to discover where that blood mark was the, the cloth draped over the side of the individual and. Then I took that cloth and, put and wrapped it around the arm and found that the, um, the blood mark occurred when Jesus was crucified, he was lady, he actually landed up in this position and the blood came from the wrist, went down the arm and then around to the elbow and then dripped to the ground. And so with that, we know for sure that Jesus was crucified. And also we know that there was definitely a crucified man that was three-dimensional man that was draped around. And we also know that the blood marks are, that particular blood mark uh, and it demonstrates that uh, the blood is a contact process, yet the image itself is not a contract process because there's no, uh, we know that the cloth touched the arm. We see the image here, but we don't see an image on the side Therefore, the uh, we know that the cloth touched blood, touched the blood, but there's no image there. So therefore, the image is not a contact process.
0: Okay, and this uh, because again, one of the theories when it, when people were saying it's a you know medieval forgery, one theory was that it was a metal statue of a man that had been heated, and that the image came from that heated metal uh, image of Christ. Uh, and by the way, there's no evidence for that image, and it would have to be hollow with a place to put coals or something in it and, you know, to get it heated or find some other way to heat it. And that would not make a photograph. Now what, that would, if anything, it would singe cloth but it wouldn't make a photograph.
1: Really, you know, f- uh, for about 125 years, uh, people have been trying to figure out how the image was made, mm-hmm. and uh, all kinds of theories have come about. Mm-hmm. And the reality of it is that none of them uh, have re- reproduced the shroud as we see it at the microscopic level. Right. The 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 uh, the image is really. Uh, uh, Very superficial, and it only goes down one one or two fibers deep, and those fibers are less than half the diameter of the hairs on your head. So it's really impossible. It's not man-made. It's not a natural event.
0: And and how much paint did you find
1: in the shroud? There's no paint. No paint, exactly. No paint. No dyes. No no. That was a trick question. Absolutely not. Right.
0: Right. (laughs) But yeah, there's no no paint. No dye. Nothing like that. Right. Exactly. Exactly. This is. This uh, and the more that we have scientific examination, the more authentic this appears. Now, this is you know all very important, and there's so much data in your book, um, but there are some incongruities that you know show up that you help to make sense of. First of all. Uh, One thing that you mentioned, you develop a lot. In fact, I found your book helpful as I was praying my rosary, The the Sorrowful Mysteries. And as I was reading over your book, it helped me to imagine Jesus being scourged at the pillar uh, and uh, crowned with thorns in particular. Tell tell us a little bit about... uh, Quickly about some of the evidence that you point out about the scourging.
1: Well, with regard to the scourging, there's, um, uh, there's, it's, it's, it's really a very, very interesting. Uh, Barbet actually did this work. Uh, he was a French surgeon who initially did this. Uh, he saw when you look at the back of the of the man of the shroud, you will see that uh, some of the, some of the scourge marks go. Uh, uh, diagonally upward and then and, uh, as if somebody is hitting somebody in the back up, uh, upward and you're standing up and you're hitting him and then as you go across the uh, the, the, the buttocks area the, the scourge marks are actually uh, uh, horizontal right. and then if you look at the lower legs they become diagonally downward be- as you as you're striking him down lower so what you have is definite proof that this is truly a real scourging uh, mm-hmm. so uh, from a from anatomical perspective
0: yes yeah that was uh, something that was itself um, the, again hard if someone was manufacturing they probably would have it all go in the same direction but this shows evidence of a person who actually bled uh, and you know from being scourged. And the different directions show, you know, the, the reality of uh, someone uh, hitting him with the whip. Uh, a second, th- and, and that there was there was something attached to the thongs of the whip that also made marks. You right. In chip. other words,
1: there were they were these uh, uh, dumbbell-shaped uh, wounds. In what it was done, it was done to pick out the flesh. Uh, that's how they were created. In other words, they were. Uh, two balls, uh, probably of uh, either bone or lead, that, that were uh, with a, uh, a, <clears throat> a leather strap. And it was a leather strap, and at the end there were two balls of lead. And as they hit the skin, that they would actually pick out the flesh. Yep, yep. And you see these all
0: over the bo- all over the body. And and just as a, another point, that fulfilled a prophecy that none of the Roman soldiers would have read uh, from Psalm 22 where they have, uh, uh, or excuse me, from Isaiah 54, they have numbered all my bones, that flesh would be torn off, you know, from the body by these small lead balls attached to the thongs of the...
1: Certainly would be uh, excoriation, sort of deep wounds, right, on, on the body
0: all over. And also you mentioned about the crown of thorns making wounds because there's so many uh, blood vessels in the head.
1: Yeah, the, uh, the head is very vascular and uh, uh, there are a lot of, a number of uh, uh, of uh, wounds that you can see all over the head and the back of the head. And, and that uh, that certainly, it could either be a a cap or, or a, a crown of thorns that, are, mm-hmm. that is there. And uh, he would have... Uh, bled profusely and lost a lot of blood. And in doing so, that would have made him very weak. Between the scourging, uh, which uh, has a major effect on, on uh, causing the skin to be uh, damaged so much that a, a lot of the blood from the vessels would, the fluid would go into the skin, as well as the loss of blood, loss of blood from the head. So therefore, there's a reason why Jesus was in a weakened condition, falling a few times uh, on the way because yes. he was really going into shock. Yes. And so that's why, one of the reasons why he didn't last very long on the cross.
0: And, and you make a point too that when the head is wounded, it doesn't have to be a really deep gash. You know, smaller wounds can cause a lot of bleeding because there are so many blood vessels. Uh, on absolutely.
1: The head. Yeah. I see somebody coming in an emergency room uh, and uh, they're covered with blood remember one gentleman coming in covered with blood, and I said, what kind of a wound? must be a major wound. It was a young fellow just starting off in the emergency room. And uh, it turned out to be just a very small little uh, wound, but to be, that caused all that bleeding. So sure. the head is very vascular.
0: But one of the, and, and these are, uh, these and, uh, issues about the nails and how our Lord was hung on the cross, These are important points, but I think one of the most important elements that is uh, I'd never thought of, you know, and you bring out in your your chapter on the upright man, um, is there's something odd about the image because it's not the image of somebody who is laying on his back. They're not excuse, lying on his back. That's right. That's right. This, why would you say that? Why is this not the image of a man who's dead on his back? What What is it that you saw? Well,
1: uh, I thought for years that he was lying on his back, and sure. so does everyone else. And uh, right. any kind of sculptures around the world, uh, everybody has him laying on his back. And I was I was part of that. Uh, one, uh, one day I was uh, studying the shroud and uh, I was doing a, a, an experiment, uh, actually on the face and whatever, and uh, I, did a, I did a photograph of uh, the man lying down, uh, and, and uh, which I believed he was lying down, of a bearded man lying down. And uh, I also did a photograph of my same volunteer sitting up at the dining room table. And uh, anyway, when I, when I got the photographs back, I was, it was the day when we had negatives. And so when I got the photograph back, I looked at the negative and I saw that uh, it didn't look at all like the man of the shroud. It looked, it was a bland look. And, uh, and so then I went through all my negatives and I discovered that there was a, a negative that did look like the man of the shroud. And that was a picture I took of the man that was upright. So in you know, other words, the shadows looked like shadows mm-hmm. of the man uh... who is upright looked like the man of the shroud and when i saw that i was really moved by that because i never believed uh, i never realized there would be anything in the shroud that would ever have me think in terms of that this was the moment of the resurrection because there was nothing that really would even though it was a fascinating work uh... that uh... but this the upright man really uh, reached my soul and i I felt I had the epiphany of thinking this is the moment of the resurrection. Then I did further studies and found that the hair of the man actually flows down to his shoulders and down his back like someone who's upright. And then if you followed me into, uh, uh, and then I did further work, and if you followed me along and we we went into an autopsy room, if you turn the body over of of somebody who's uh, a, a, a person who's been there for, a short while, you'll find that the entire back of the body is flat. Uh, the back is, the buttocks is, and so forth. And uh, you, uh, when you compare that to the shroud, you don't see that. When you look at the man of the shroud from the back, it, it, you see form. Gravity uh, has, plays a big part on the man's form. If a person is upright, he has a certain form. If he's lying down, the back of the, uh, the back would be flattened. I, we did a study. I took a study and I put a man on glass, and uh, we did. You know, we looked at that very carefully, and you can see large areas of flattening, which you just do
0: not see on the shroud. So it's, uh, and, and this would be something that anybody with common sense would, you know, once you say it, said, well, yeah, that's right. You know that when someone is, you know, lying on their back you know, their buttocks would be flat at the point of contact with the surface. Right.
1: So understand. And, and,
0: and so folks can also you know, understand about uh, your, your book that you have photographs showing this is what somebody who is lying down looks like. This is the flattening of uh, buttocks, calves, and so on. So that's there, but then that's not... The way it looks on the shroud.
1: No, he has form as if he were upright, mm-hmm. and he's upright. So, what, what happened was that uh, I found myself looking at a man who's uh, upright, and his feet don't touch the ground. You know, aren't, aren't touching the ground as if he's uh, up, upright in 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 midair. So, uh, I didn't know what to do with that. I mean, I never heard of. Uh, mm-hmm. this kind of a, an image before and so I started to look at the Bible uh, having, well, I wasn't a Bible reader at the time uh, and I looked at Mark, Luke and M- Matthew and I actually didn't find anything in there that r- reflected a man who would be uh, upright in midair. Mm-hmm. so I uh, uh, finally I went to the Gospel of John in chapter 12 verse 32 there I found Jesus stated and I, when I am lifted up above the earth, will draw all people to myself. And I realized that that was, he was literally uh, describing what I was looking at of the shroud, uh, that he is above the earth. And so uh, I didn't know it. I, I, I started to study that. And I discovered that in, in doing my research that uh, in the gospel of John, if Jesus is lifted up, when he talks about being lifted up and Jesus talks about being lifted up three times that um, that means that he's lifted up no, not only in crucifixion, but in resurrection and in ascension back to the Father. So that's what this, uh, so then I, it, so this got me really into the Bible and uh, I, I pursued a biblical study. In fact, I even went uh, to, took two years of uh, college, actually uh, graduate courses in a seminary and uh, studied the Bible and the Gospel of John. And then I studied the Gospel of John for another 10 years and started to realize more and more that we really only can understand the shroud through understanding uh, the life of Jesus as it is recorded in the Gospel of John. And,
0: you know, it's, I think, uh, a good point to mention that the, John takes a note, he had gotten to the tomb of Jesus bef- just before St. Peter did. If you Look at John chapter 20. Hmm. He stopped and didn't go and he, let, he gave deference to Peter and Peter went in first. But the, John went in and you bring out this point that he believed. Uh, but he also mentions the burial cloth was folded up. It wasn't chaotic, you know. If some, if grave robbers had come in, they, uh, you know, when you go uh, to Egyptian tombs, things are thrown around because grave robbers are looking for gold or precious things, and they just t- t- tear things up. Or if you've ever had your house robbed, you know, house thieves are not neat. You know, they make a mess. I mean, well, I make a mess myself, but they make a bigger mess, and so. This, uh, he makes that point about the cloth being folded. So that, that, and, I, and I give credit to Our Lady for showing our Lord how to fold up. You make yeah. a mess, you clean it up. Right.
1: Well, I think the, the uh, two things here that are very important is that when he, he stated, he stated uh, when he got into the tomb, he says, he saw and believed. And there's yes. no objects to those words. We don't know what is it he saw and what is it he believed. Of course, we all think that he saw an empty tomb and that Jesus was gone, so he believed he mm-hmm. r- r- rose from the dead. However, in the very last, the next sentence, John says uh, that uh, um, as yet we did not understand that Je- uh, the scriptures that Jesus was to rise from the dead. Mm-hmm. And so basically he's, he's, he's saying we don't, underst- we don't know that he's, at this point in time, we don't know that he's risen from the dead. So uh, why does he do that? A lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of studies have been done on that sentence. but uh, So what is it he believed and what did he see? Well, we know what he believed throughout the entire Gospel of John. He believed that Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, and so what did he see? And in, in my research, I found that John points to the death scene of, uh, from, of, of Jesus when he describes everything about jesus up on a cross and he everything that he describes is what we find on the shroud so he really is telling us that this is what i saw and uh and then what uh and then finally he brings us to uh, another story of the temple story which uh where jesus comes into the um into the temple and he, he, he throws over the money changers, whatever, mm-hmm. but he says something there. He says, when, uh, when he comes in, he says, don't make my, I'm paraphrasing, don't make my, my father's house a marketplace. And uh, then he's asked by the, the author- Jews in authority, uh, show us a sign for, for what you've just done. Why? And Jesus states, destroy this temple and in three days, I will raise it up, and we and we find that John John explains uh, that uh, the that he's raising his body. In other words, he's talking about his body. So what Jesus is doing is describing that he has been uh, that in three days he will raise up his body, and that's exactly what we see in the shroud—a body that has been raised up, lifted up. And uh, the the important part of that story is that jesus for the very first time when he talks uh, just as in just chapter two for the very first time uh, when when he says uh, that in my father's house he's basically saying that god is he is the son of 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 god Mm -hmm. and that is one of the that is the real reason why the uh the the authority were questioning him because of of that statement because that's considered blasphemy a real problem, and we learn in chapter 5 that they want to kill him because he does that. So, it's, so Jesus makes the statement that he is the Son of God in, at that temple story, mm-hmm. and what we have here is they've asked for a sign, and Jesus gives them the sign of, that he will raise his body and uh, lift it up. And what we have here on the shroud is that sign of the Jesus raised up. It's as if this is a, this is a photograph, you might say, if we say, of the resurrection where Jesus is actually lifted up. But the sign is basically what we see on the shroud. And see, that is what John saw in the tomb.
0: And I know I've spoken with, we share a friend Dr. John Jackson. Yes. And he also, he's a physicist. Right. uh, And he also thinks that this is what occurred not while the body of Jesus was uh, lying in death, but that it's the power of the resurrection that made the image on the shroud. He's he's certainly, yes. He does very
1: nice work. He's done a lot of great work, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, with regard, he has some hypotheses with regard to that kind of, uh, some type of uh, uh, energy that has caused, you know, that, mm-hmm. Im- that image to be f- formed on there. But we don't, but we don't know right. what that is. We, and, uh, but there's a lot of people that have, uh, there's a number of, of hypotheses. I all, I have them all in my right. book. Right, from, uh, You know, I don't pr- talk about them, but they're all, they're all, people can find them in the book. Uh,
0: the shroud of Jesus. And I, I think that it brings out an important point that the resurrection of Jesus is not a mere resuscitation. That he, you know, uh, Lazarus was resuscitated, right. and the daughter of Jairus and the uh, son of the widow of Nine; these were resuscitated, and later on they died. Right. In fact, I've often mentioned to my audiences that I've been to both sure. of Lazarus's tombs—the one he got out and the one where they kept him. Uh, that's hmm. that's found on the island of Cyprus oh, in Larnaca, at the uh, cathedral church there. And so he he died. He was a died a bishop, but Christ's resurrection is not merely. Bringing back to life this, this kind of body. There's a transformation. The resurrected body is completely transformed. And that's a very important part All of the resurrection. So Christ is raised forever. He is not going to go back into a tomb, he's not going to die. He's truly glorified. And that's how we talk about his body as a glorified body. We need to take a break. We're going to come back in a couple of minutes and get questions from our studio audience and from you. So please stay with us. All right, welcome back. Um, we are speaking with Dr. Gilbert Lavoy, uh, MD, and he is the author of a book entitled The Shroud of Jesus and the sign Je- John Ingeniously Concealed. This book is available at EWTnrc.com. It is item number 8. 618861 and it's not only filled with great information but I think it will help with certain reflection and meditation on the passion of Christ but also on these passages in the gospel of St John and to take time to pray and understand THE IMPORTANCE OF THE RESURRECTION OF JESUS OUR LORD MORE DEEPLY. THIS IS VERY, VERY IMPORTANT, SO A VERY HELPFUL BOOK. READY FOR SOME QUESTIONS? ABSOLUTELY, SURE. LET'S START OFF WITH A CALLER. CHRISTINE, YOU ARE CALLING FROM BOSTON. YES. WHAT CAN WE DO FOR YOU TODAY? Uh, HI, FATHER. Uh, MY QUESTION IS FOR THE DOCTOR. I READ, uh, DOCTOR, I READ YOUR BOOK MANY YEARS AGO. And you indicated that the man in the shroud must have had white hair because the first negative in 1898 showed a man with white hair. But to me, it's always looked like it's a piece of white linen cloth that might have been tied around the man's head and that it's not really hair after all. What do you think?
1: Well, we see, we definitely see the, uh, uh his hair. And, uh, as far, I don't, I don't, uh, what you do is you, it, when you're writing and progressing and studying the shroud, uh, I have, uh, I, I don't discuss the color of his hair in this my new book, uh, and but it's, it's it's an interesting thing to go back to, uh, but I, I I, it's not one of the points that I make today. Mm-hmm. Uh, as as you go along, you learn, and it's a process. So, uh, but what you're seeing on the shroud is not a cloth, but you're really seeing his hair that falls forward uh, right down to his shoulders and down his back. Like uh, uh, just uh, any person with long hair, when they stand up, their hair falls naturally down, and uh, when they lie down, uh, it falls back, and it's, 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 it's uh, actually uh, it's flattened in the back, and it falls backward. But we don't see that on the Shroud. We see that a man whose hair falls to his shoulder and his feet do not touch the ground. That's what we see
0: And one of the things that you do in the book is you have photographs of a a, a person with long hair. I believe it's a lady who has long flowing hair about the length of the man in the Shroud and that when she... When the lady is lying down, you see the hair fall off to the toward the side, right? As it would with anybody, right? But that's not in the shroud. It's clearly falling down this direction, yeah. Like would happen when somebody is standing, exactly. Not when they're lying down, exactly. Yeah, that's very important. And also, uh, if you're interested, there is a great website that any of you can go to, uh, you can see very detailed photographs of the Shroud. They were taken by Vernon D. Miller in 1978. And that website is shroudphotos.com. shroudphotos.com. And that would be something that as you read this book, you can also look at those photographs and get you know, high-quality uh, uh, photographs there.
1: Right. We were very fortunate. I was very fortunate to work with uh, Tom D. Mahalo, who had <laughs> Vernon Miller's pictures, and I knew Vernon Miller very well. Nice. And we worked together uh, uh, several years to get those photographs out you know, on that shroudphotos.com. And... Uh, they're there for the world to, to see and have. Uh, they're very they're very very uh, they're fine photographs that uh, they're so, they're <clears throat> with good resolution and you can they're so such good resolution that you can take them and have put them up in your wall in the in the living room in certain sure. pictures. So it's it's for the world to have and understand. So they're and they're for free.
0: And something about that that I think is related to the way you uh, something you mentioned with, in answering Christine. And in your book, people can look at the evidence themselves. That's right. That that and and check out the points that you make with these photographs and see this is the evidence that we have, and this is what we can look at.
1: Right. Thank you for mentioning that. We have about 80 photographs in the book. Right. And they're all there for people to... Look and exactly what you're saying. Look and see for yourself. And really, I over the years I've come, and it's 45 years now, uh, I've come to realize that God has created this cloth and this image for everybody to see, not just physicians or physicists or chemists and so forth to understand, but for everybody to understand. And the book is written for, for everyone. So everyone can come to their own conclusion of what the, the uh, uh regarding the image uh, on the, of the man of the shroud
0: and this is something that um, I'd like to point i don't know if he's watching or'll hear this on radio, but I had a uh, an email for on the radio program last week, and the gentleman was asking, why don't we have some physical evidence and uh, about christ and I think this would be a book and an object, The Shroud of Turin, that you could look at and say, I still will need faith, because faith is a gift from God to enter into a relationship with Christ. But for someone who is looking for physical evidence of the reality of Jesus Christ, this is a great place to start. Let's take a question from our studio Ma'am, where are you from? Albuquerque, New Mexico. Nice, and it's a beautiful town. What, uh, what can we do for you today? Yes, I'm so blessed to listen um, from um, your testimony. And uh, through God's grace and mercy, I believe that uh, really the Shroud of Turin is the, the living evidence testimony that God is light, because only through God's light can produce this wonderful shroud of Turing. Yeah, well, the, the, the image uh, would be coming from the light of Christ. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Thanks. Well, Do you have any comments? Well, on I that? think
1: that's I think that's a wonderful comment. Uh, first, of all, I have to say that you just uh, uh, actually uh, uh, said something that my mother said many years ago. Of the very same words, uh, uh, the shroud came from light, God's light. And uh, it's, a, it's very interesting when you, when you study the Gospel of John, you find out that Jesus calls himself the light of the world, mm-hmm. the light of life. So, so uh, you know, there's a, we don't know how this image was made. Uh, and uh, uh, from what Jesus is telling us that he is the light of the, the, light of the world, the light of life that certainly uh... we have to consider the fact that this is really not uh... this th- this is really an image that's not made by human hands it's not a natural event it's actually a supernatural event and i go to great lengths to demonstrate that it is indeed a supernatural event we can f- see that in the book mm-hmm. and uh... it's uh, and you don't have to be a scientist to see it you can actually just go through read very carefully, look at the photographs and come to your own conclusion mm-hmm. whether or not it is. And it, it's, it, I believe it's a supernatural event. I think that's a great question. Mm-hmm. Um, very, yes. Thank you very much for bringing that up. Mm-hmm.
0: And this, you know, it's interesting how uh, this light of Christ that can make this image is a light that is needed because the point that our Lord makes is that He is a light in a world where there's a lot of darkness. There's there's a lot of problematic situations in the world. We've got war. We've got horrible crime. Um, I, I saw that uh, fine movie, The Sound of F- Freedom, about human trafficking, especially child trafficking. That's one of the most dark and evil realities, but it affects 45 million people. It's terrible. Yeah, terrible. it's horri- not As victims, not right. to mention all the people participating right. in that darkness, right. you know, hundreds of millions of people. And to, to see that this light of Christ can shine in a, the darkness of the world um, and produce this bit of evidence for us to help call us to say, All right, "We're going to follow Christ the Light." This is very important.
1: It, it is important, and to have this this image, this image uh, that the, that God has given to us, I, I. Um, I, I like to say that all you need is your mind and your eyes, and you you can see that God is actually communicating to us mm-hmm. through His Son's cloth, through the blood on the cloth and the image mm-hmm. on the cloth, and the image uh, uh, represents uh, a, a, an event, uh, the most central event in our faith, the the moment of the resurrection and ascension back to the back to the Father, and uh, how it was done, no one has ever done, uh, understood, we, do, we still don't know after 120 years in our modern science. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of theories and hypotheses, but don't know. And uh, we know, but this is, so we're very, very fortunate to have this. God has created not only, uh, I have to say this because God has created not only a f- the front image, but the back image. And it's very simple uh, that the back, both the front and the back image tell us beyond any doubt that that he is lifted up and that's mm-hmm. most important
0: yeah yeah when uh, a, a question I've gotten uh, a number of times over the years that you uh, address is the issue of uh, so many crucifixes portray our Lord having the nail through his hands other people talk about, uh, it happening, needing to happen through the wrist. What does the evidence of the shroud show about the nails in the hands and feet?
1: Well, first of all, uh, again, uh, Barbe, uh, he saw, I consider him uh, my mentor. He was a physician. Uh, it was the first book I read on the shroud. And uh, he and what he, was the title of his book? Uh, a, a Doctor at Calvary. Exactly. And... Uh, he uh, he did he he lived in the 30s and he did his work in the 30s and 40s 1930s and 40s, and um, <clears throat> he did he used cadavers and he put nails through the palms of the hand and the weight of the body would just tear through the flesh, but then when he put it you know through the wrist he called uh, the bone the bony ligaments the bones and the ligaments of the wrist would hold up the body, mm-hmm. and the other thing that he noticed when he did that he being a surgeon during that period of time that uh, he had to amputate, you know, an arm or whatever. When he noticed that uh, he would uh, put a nail through the uh, sort of almost a living flesh, it had to, the, butt, the arm had to be removed. And he, on, on a number of occasions, would put the nail through the wrist and found that the uh, the median nerve was uh, activated in, and the thumb went inside the palm of the hand leaving four fingers and no thumb. And that's what we see in the shroud, four fingers and no thumb. So this is, you know, uh, just an anatomical finding that we, uh, that uh, an artist wouldn't think of. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this, uh, yeah, I think that uh, you, you know, don't see the portrayal on the shroud as it would be in most of Christian art. Uh, so that again, it's, it's not a product of traditional imagination, but it does fit anatomically. So, it'd be, so about where on the the
1: yeah, it would be right, you know, right, right, right here right, where the wrist right, meets, basically the wrist, right where mm-hmm. the wrist meets the, you mm-hmm. know, where, where, as you fold that your wrist, it's right, right in there, and right okay. in that fold that mm-hmm. it goes. Goes right through that fold as a wrist like this. Mm-hmm. Oh.
0: And you know, Roman s- soldiers um, may well have done a number of crucifixions. Crucifixion was a punishment that was given to non-Roman citizens. Uh, Roman law didn't let citizens be crucified; they were beheaded, but they, uh, or uh, otherwise executed. But uh, non-citizens and slaves were crucified because it was a more humiliating and a more painful form of death, and that would—that's another element that you bring out too. This was would have been extraordinarily painful,
1: right? Very, very painful. Because you're going in through the median nerve. It's a tremendous amount of pain going through the wrist. Yes, yes. It's uh, you know absolutely. So I uh, I think there's uh, there's so many there's. Uh, there's a lot of detail in the in this in the book that uh, talks about all the wounds, and uh, the wound at the side, uh, the, uh, the fact of blood of water coming out of the wound. All those details are, are found in the books. So it's mm-hmm. very so I actually go through uh, the gospel and I bring out uh, and and compare it with the shroud and uh, and and try to give medical reasons why we see what we see.
0: That's something I'd also like to bring up. Uh, uh, meant that when we were talking earlier today. Uh, I was going to mention it. You know, St. John and the book of Revelation both cite the prophet uh, Zechariah that um, they have pierced my side. Uh, and you know, and where, where it talks about it, uh, or better yet, the, the, not that one. The, they shall look upon him whom they have pierced.
1: Right, in John, right.
0: What's interesting That's is that what we in, have today is that right.
1: we are looking upon on, on right
0: on, on him on who's whom pierced. We, we have pierced. But right. in the Hebrew text of that passage in Zechariah, it doesn't say they shall look on him whom they have pierced. In Revelation chapter 1 and in John chapter 19, it says, they shall look on him whom they've pierced. Hmm. And that's in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Hmm. They shall look on him. In the Hebrew, it says, they shall look, the Lord God is speaking, and the Lord God says, they shall look on me whom they have pierced. Fascinating, wonderful, exciting. And this could only be possible to be fulfilled. And I've, I've checked. I cannot find any textual variant except the, the uh, Greek translation of that passage. But there are no Hebrew variants. All the texts say, they look on me, and this can only be because God chose to become flesh in Jesus Christ being pierced on his side fulfills that prophecy as well. Doctor, thank you very much for being with us. Thank you for writing this book as well. And in honor of this, I'd like to bless you all with a relic of the true cross. May Almighty God bless you and keep you and bring you to the salvation Jesus won by dying on the cross and rising in glory in the resurrection. God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, we can bring you this program, the movie we're doing next week, and all the other shows we do only because this network is brought to you by you. So we ask you to please keep us in between your gas bill, your electric bill, and your cable bill, and we will be able to pay all of our bills, too. God bless you all, and thank you.